If you're vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be collaborative, and here's why. In this episode, we find answers to who or what is a D&D duet? Uh, how do you play a game of D&D with only two people? And why aren't there that many NPCs that are married? <laughs> yes, I've seen some weird connections between NPCs, but marriage is usually not one of them. So welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. When we actually started playing D&D... One of the challenges that, well, our very first challenge was that our DM was stretched so thin that uh, they were literally falling asleep while DMing. Yeah, and I would give them about two-minute breaks, and, and then I'd wake them back up. Yeah, <laughs> and we pushed them so hard because he worked n- weird night shifts that, uh, that that just wasn't feasible. So then Jordan and I had only gotten our very first taste of D&D, and now we were hungry for it. We wanted more, but we didn't know any other DMs. And so we started DMing for each other. Out of pure desperation it on was, road trips. We had in... no idea what we were doing. <laughs> we didn't know the rules, but yeah, we started just trying our best to run each other through little adventures that we were making up. And without any kind of template or framework, you know, playing a one-on-one game seemed really, really difficult. We didn't have other people to play off of, especially as a new player. Yeah. So when you don't really know how to structure a game differently, and that really kind of begs the question, uh, again, how do you play a game of D&D without a full party? Because we see, you know, forums everywhere. Uh, Our local Okanagan tabletop meetup group is always asking, hey, is there anyone else out there that wants to join a party because we don't have a full party. So do you need a full party? That's the question. Well, to help answer that, we've invited the wonderfully creative and talented producers of D&D Duet to this week's episode. They're the creative team that comprises Grove Guardian Press, which produces lots of great content, including six published one-player and one-DM adventures, three of which are a trilogy, a druid subclass, numerous creatures, and of course the blog D&D Duet, which has dozens of articles to help both the player and DM with everything they need to get rolling on a two-player game. All right, welcome, Beth and Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so what uh, what are you working on today that we're interrupting you from? I think we're going to play Curse of Strahd later. Ooh. Or maybe with our other characters. So D&D after this. <laughs> um, doing some writing today, so. Nice. How, how, for, how far through Curse of Strahd? We just started Curse of Strahd. So in our last session, I ran Beth's character, Braceris, demon hunter extraordinaire, through <laughs> a modified death house opening. And so they're going to go off to the next town now. Wow. Which I'm really excited. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, we'll definitely get into more of that. What we want to kind of start with today is uh, first with the hero stage, we're going to get to know Beth and Jonathan a little bit more. Then we're going to go to strategy stateroom, where we're going to learn the ins and outs of playing and running a two-person game. And then we're going to finish with Timorta's Tavern, where we have cooked up a fun little game for these two, 
which will give us some custom married NPCs for your game. All right, let's get to the first segment. This is the hero stage, where fantastic folk have a spotlight turned to them to tell the tales of their adventurous lives. Okay, so now let's uh, let's get a chance to know you two a little bit more and what makes your D&D and working relationship and how all of that kind of fits together. But let's start with where you two are married in real life. It's true. <laughs> so rumor has it you are married. Uh, what's the uh, what's the how you met story? Well, we met while we were working on our master's degree at East Tennessee State University. And the first time I saw Beth, she busted into our very first like big faculty meeting, 45 minutes late, uh, just hair flying everywhere. She made quite an impression. (laughs) So we were colleagues uh, in English first and shared a cubicle. And you know how these stories go. You share a cubicle with somebody and then the next thing you know, you're married, so. <laughs> <laughs> I work in a cubicle environment, and uh, I I really hope that's not the case. <laughs> you're not so much a fan of your cubicle mates? <laughs> well, there's just a few that I, I'm not sure I would be a good match for. <laughs> you have good cubicle mates, though. It's, it's a great way to meet your life partner. Well, that's awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> So what's the elevator pitch? What is Grove Guardian? What is D&D Duet to you two? So D&D Duet specifically to us is adventures and advice for playing D&D with just two people. And so we like to emphasize world building and character driven narratives. Cool. And where did that come from? Like what made you guys decide to start putting that together and sharing it? So we thought it existed for a while. For a year, he kept talking about this website, rpgduet.com, which isn't a website. (laughs) (laughs) Just making up competition. I like it. (laughs) I was convinced that I'd seen it um, trying to find resources for our one-on-one game. And I was like, ah, this would be such a good idea if I guess that that was just a fever dream or something. <laughs> and like, when we actually like started talking about putting stuff up and like contributing to the community, we found out that indeed that did not exist. And so we kind of made it. That's awesome. I love those. That must've been just like the universe sending you a sign to make it and you mistook it. <laughs> so ridiculous. And I would say for, for that niche, where are the other competition in the space? Like this is such a cool opportunity and it's such a needed thing. And I'm so surprised that you two have completely cornered the, uh, the market for one-on-one games. That's Jordan and I's history. That's our whole backstory is, was just a need of desperation. How do we play games together? They're all the shadow Pendus posts that are really good from several years ago. But other than that, there's not really anything or there will be one page or one post, but nothing specifically dedicated to it. So I don't think we set out to have a corner in the market, but it worked out that way. And that that new supplement came out with the, it did explore that a little bit, right? The the actual uh, Wizards of the Coast, was that exciting for you guys or was it more of like a, any other feelings around it? So it's, it's kind of a funny story. We, 
we were of two minds about it, like the essentials kit and like the sidekick rules coming out. We were really excited that one-on-one play was kind of being spotlighted a little bit, but uh, it definitely, I don't know, we'd been running D&D Duet for a hot minute at that point. It felt like like six months on the internet, right? Like it, it felt like a long time. Um, and then all of a sudden this like new stuff was coming out and we were, I mean, a little bit worried that like we would be redundant or something or like replaced, but that's really not the case. Like it, it's nice, but it's certainly not everything. Was there any uptick since that? Our website's been really busy, especially with our reviews of the essentials kit and the starter set and comparing the essentials kit and the starter set. So we're really helping people <laughs> do things. Cool. That's awesome. That's so, yeah. And that's that's one of the things I find about this part of D&D is that there's never, there never seems to be too much. Like we can always consume more when it comes <laughs> to adventures and things like that. So I think it's tremendous that uh, that you two are getting that uh, that time in the spotlight because... Yeah, your your work is incredible, and and it's really necessary for people that do want to just explore one on one D anD D. But speaking of which, what was your first experience with D anD D? So I started playing D anD D. I grew up knowing that I would love to play D anD D, and I never had anybody to play with, or that would play with me. Probably is more accurate. And I was 27 the first time I played and just immediately fell in love. And I was playing with some friends from work and I would come home and just talk about it as you do. I was probably pretty annoying. Um, <laughs> and then eventually, what do you want to tell them about your student? One of my students, I have them do style exercises. So she was writing about Duchess and Dragons and nerds playing Duchess and Dragons. And I thought that sounded awesome because I had been resisting playing D&D for about a year. But I said that I would play Duchess and Dragons and I still don't like Dungeons that much. (laughs) She said she would play something called Duchess and Dragons. And I was like, bet I'm going to make Duchess and Dragons. And so that that's uh, in my massive one note campaign binder thing, you know, that's that's the campaign name is Duchess and Dragons. Nice. That's awesome. And is that kind of where that first adventure that you wrote came from? Because that seems seems a little more like Duchess and Dragons. Um, so that was the very first thing that we ever played ever. And I tried to write that to have those kind of three pillars and like introducing things slowly and then kind of putting it all together. And it just, we've done so much <laughs> yeah. together. Well, and as a as a conduit for storytelling, that's always the best way to get anybody into playing D&D is to bridge that context. You know, whether you're a, you know, a fanatic for Disney princesses or you are a fanatic for radical anarchism, like there's <laughs> there's a way that you can bridge whatever context somebody has, whatever polar lifestyle that they enjoy or that they find an interest in, you can build a story around that. Like it's just, it's a conduit to telling stories and that's, that's really it. Yeah. I think for me, I resisted playing for a long time because I thought it was going to be really rules heavy and I don't like that in games. So I didn't think it would be fun. And then I found out it was more about storytelling, which I really like. So it, it worked out in the long run, but that was a major hurdle for me to need to 
jump, I guess, and understanding the game. And is that your favorite part of the game, Beth, is is the storytelling? Yes, I think for sure. Or the RP character aspects. Jonathan? I love it. Our game is, we can play a whole session of D&D and just be characters talking to each other and both be totally satisfied. So definitely the storytelling and the role-playing, I especially like kind of high-stakes tactical combat every now and then, you know, but... Yeah, I'd say if I had to pick one, the storytelling, the the role-playing, exploring character. Just from you guys' background, is there anything that you guys bring to the role-playing that, like, I might not think of? Like, anything that you work in that makes it more interesting? I think we do a really good job of understanding our characters. I think that our characters are so realized to us that there's a lot. It's almost like hanging out with friends we just made a bunch of our own friends and just hang out with them in the living room because we're cool like that. <laughs> um, I mean, I I don't know. It that's that's how it feels to be. Like it's and through all of that, we get to spend a lot of quality time together and just like hanging out too. And so the, we don't always have like super high stakes in role playing encounters. Oftentimes, we're just kind of playing and like see what happens you know like we will start with something and kind of see where it goes and then when that's run its course we'll change the scene yeah i think that was really exemplified in you have a video of you playing a one-on-one game and that that video that was totally exemplified you could just see that the two of you were just having fun with those characters and and you could drag like for what would feel like i think to a lot of people kind of a dragging scene you end up just making it feel real. You just play so well as those characters that you could just listen to that forever. I'm so glad that came through. It was really fast for us to kind of move through those things, but we didn't want anyone to be bored watching us move really slowly and carefully through all these little details. Well, and I think that just goes to your point about different styles of games and you know, some people love love the RP aspect and other people get a little bit bored by it. But yeah, I think just trying to strike that balance. We're on the side of loving it too. Like I'm almost proud of a session that goes that's just role play. <laughs> I'm like, we didn't even notice, but there was no combat there. And there can <laughs> still feel like there's lots of stakes and there can still feel like there's lots of challenges. You know, it doesn't have to be a trapped door to be a puzzle. It can be a social puzzle. It can be a a social battle. Another question, how has your relationship changed since actually playing some of these games or has it? I think it has in positive ways. I think for sure we're closer and we have these cool things to talk about and think about. There's been a lot of personal change for me with playing. I'm working on my PhD right now, which can be really anxiety inducing. And so D&D gives me something to think about and focus on that I can still control. So, okay, I have to battle this green dragon, so I need to be prepared. What spells do I want to have? What materials? What's the plan when we go in? Is a lot easier to think about than comprehensive exams. I think that because when one person's stressed, it's going to increase the stress that the other person is experiencing. I think the one of the most valuable things that D&D does for us as a couple is we get to spend so much time together in like a really fun, really creative way. Like we just sit in our living room and tell stories to each other and, you know, 
roll dice and it's just kind of amazing. And we, we never don't have something to talk about, you know, like we're never the couple at the restaurant, like both on their phones, staring into oblivion, waiting for the shrimp to arrive. Like we're passionately talking. Do you remember that time when the, you know, like we, we always have something to talk about or kind of work on and consider and stuff. And that's, that's really unique. And I think, I think an awesome part of the hobby. Yeah, uh, it creates a common ground between people. And I imagine that's just as true for a couple of the, as for anyone else. You're both English teachers. So it's your favorite topic to teach within that realm. What's top of mind? Oh, my. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm all about like my mission in the classroom is to give my students the power. And like, I want them to find power in their own voice and exercising their voice through their writing. And so I get really jazzed when we get into stuff where they can like do something with their thoughts and ideas and writing is so essential in that. I love also, of course, talking about literature and poetry and all that good stuff, but I just get really jazzed and passionate about my students finding their voice. It, it sounds like that might be something that carries over as a DM as well, but... I think so. I cool. never put that together before. I, I think that's absolutely true with giving the character so much space to lead. For me, I focus on contemporary literature. So for my students, I want them to see a wide variety of voices and to see perspective and beauty in something like literature where we get to focus on important topics, but also topics that are I know it's nice we get to sit and talk about art and I teach college students so they're often under a lot of pressure so we get to create this space where we're talking about real issues but in a, a nice environment or a thoughtful environment where like you're saying they get to have a voice too. An environment that you just have the space to have those conversations maybe yeah that that seems pretty powerful. Yeah absolutely and I like to see as we go through the semester, more students talking and adding their ideas and making literature personal to them, which is kind of my goal as we move through each semester. Do all of your students know that you're both D&D nerds? Definitely. I advise the D&D club at school. And so each year, you know, we started a two years ago and this we had five people and then it grew to 15 and 20 and 25 and so we just have pushing 30 young people just screaming and yelling in plastic and you know like <laughs> waving um, imaginary battle axes around and we had to find a bigger space and i think my dnd tattoo probably gave me away it's it's a whole thing so yeah they definitely know that i'm a big nerd <laughs> that sounds amazing let's Talk a little bit about some of your other creative passions. Beth, you're writing a novel. I am writing a novel. I'm in the major revision stage, but hopefully after that, we'll be moving right along to getting it out into the world. That's got to be hugely exciting. When are you expecting to release it? I really want to sometime before the end of this year, but my deadline is my birthday in February. So before February 2020, Buried Heroes will be out in the world. Wow. And this is based on your first adventure. It's going to be a whole series that's based on our D&D game. So I think it's going to be really cool. 
but we really wanted to have a playable world for D&D or if you wanted to adapt it for another RPG and a fictional space. Again, thinking about bridging those things for people who maybe would read a fantasy novel but won't play D&D. But then if they got to play in this fantasy novel world that they really like, maybe they would play. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. That's a cool uh, combo. How was it taking characters from a D&D game and turning them into characters for a novel? So I've tried multiple times before to write a novel, and this has been the easiest because I don't have to figure out what's going to happen because I know because it already happened. <laughs> so that's been cool. I think playing a D&D character where you're figuring out with someone else helps too makes the character more well-rounded and some of the things his NPCs have done are things I never would have figured out by myself or just invented. So that's been great. Part of my revision is cutting some of the boring stuff, like going to get armor, which is exciting in a D&D game, but it's not as exciting to read necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So you're saying if you, if anyone wants to write a novel, then Give all the characters to your friends and play an RPG. Yes, I think it's amazing um, for creation and, and making a character. So absolutely, writers, play D&D. And more to that, that's why Jordan and I are actually, we'll probably be doing a, a future episode about this, but we've been actually co-DMing, you know, just in the same way that your novel is somewhat co-written with the two of you collaborating on a story and then you making a novelization of that story it does it provides another level that you yourself might not have naturally arrived at but now all of a sudden it's it's this cool collaboration and we've been finding that at least with co-dming as well is that he will bring something that i just won't think of and vice versa co-dming is amazing, especially in duet situation. Like we'll often flip and she'll take a whole storyline and like allow me to play because playing is super fun too. And you don't want to just do one all the time, like the forever DM syndrome. And it allows like me as the DM to kind of like refresh and rejuvenate and and to also just like enjoy being a player. We love like sharing the responsibility for like creating and fleshing out our world and telling the story. And like you were both saying, I think it helps the DMPCs to be more vibrant and well-rounded too, because they get to be full characters somehow more than they would if you were just DMing. So do you, you guys switch back and forth between the DM NPCs as well? She's always, always, always her primary character. And I'm always, always, always like my first DMPC. And generally, other than that, we know all the characters so well, like we can kind of fill in when we need to. And in that way, we're never in a weird situation where I'm just sitting here talking to myself while she watches. <laughs> yeah, um, we can all be interacting. And that sounds like it just puts the whole experience on more equal ground and it's more engaging that way. Is there any other D&D media that you are rabid fans of? Um, I'm a crazy fan of Critical Role. I've learned so much listening to hundreds of hours of Critical Role, like Mad Style, emphasizing the story development, the characters, and it just like, really speaks to me. And we tend to like kind of a serious game of D&D. &D. And 
you know, they have, they have fun, but like generally it's a pretty serious game of D and D. And like, that's, that's also the kind that we run. Yeah. I'm a critter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel like I go in phases of what I'm really excited about. So lately it's been gemstone dice and they're so pretty. And so that's been my newest passion for the longest time. It was, oh, what's that website? Oh, the monsters oh. know Pog. Keep yes. them on is amazing. Yeah. Yes, that was my obsession because I couldn't figure out the mechanics or what is this person supposed to do? They're trying to kill my PC. That's not good. So that was really helpful. We actually just had a Keith him on, on the show, on the podcast. And yeah, we learned so much from just a, a short conversation with him. He's just a font of knowledge. Yeah, he really retains it all. And he's so easy to to bring that out of. But his website is so enlightening for all those strategies. It's wild. I saw you guys had him on. I was super jealous. Oh, it looks like you guys have been talking to him lots recently, too. Your guys' online presence is impressive. I want to copy you guys in that regard. <laughs> it's all her. She's the she's the absolutely so prolific in what she puts on the website and like of such a high quality. It's incredible. So let's hop over to the strategy stateroom where we're going to learn a little bit more about some of their practices and their tips and tricks for actually providing and, and doing one of these one-on-one -on -one games. This is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so yeah, let's uh, get into some of the knowledge that you guys have to offer us. What aspects of the game start to change when you're playing a one-on-one -on -one game versus when you're playing in a group? I think the biggest thing that is kind of a challenge when you're starting out is, like we were talking about, there's no one else to bounce things around with. I can speak from the DM perspective and running a DM PC to have running around with uh, Beth's primary character. For the first little while, I wasn't doing a good job of having my DM PC be somebody that she could actually talk to. And so it was just kind of like a lot of silence. And I wanted so badly for her character to shine. And I didn't want as the DM to be overbearing and that's the fear, right? With like a DMPC that they're going to kind of overshadow the players. And I was terrified of doing that. But in so doing, I created a situation in which her character is just like, do, 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 like just like walking around <laughs> by themselves. Uh, and that was kind of awkward. And so figuring out that balance of that give and take, I think just takes time and like messing around with it and getting comfortable with the whole setup. So there's, the there's a bit of a rocky start no matter what you're saying, like if anyone wants to try this, then just get through that and you'll start having a lot of fun kind of thing. I think so, for sure. I can see it now where I feel like you were probably comparing yourself to Matt Mercer or these other DMs you had seen or group play, but especially because I was new, I didn't have anything to compare it to. So it's not like anything was wrong or they knew that something was off. So but yeah, I think there's going to be some element of a rocky start or at least a maybe a weird start as you both kind of get comfortable and get into your characters. And that's the thing, too. Like, there's never been the brand new start of a D&D &D game where people have new characters and it's just freaking magic the first time. Right. Like, 
part of the joy of the experience is kind of figuring it out and messing with it. And I think the biggest, the biggest thing is like to just do it and to, to try it out and let it be messy and to work on making it better each time. Yeah. There's such an energy to those first sessions as well about like finding your way through something new. Well, and just the fact that you found yourself where you are at this point, you know, you're dealing with three major aspects. You're dealing with a brand new player. You're also dealing with pioneering, you know, a one-on-one game. And then you're also dealing with that new game thing. And like you said, Jordan, you're going to deal with that no matter what. And all three of those things, depending on whether or not they're even present in a brand new game, the best thing to do is just do it. <laughs> Hop in there and, and get her done. So we have uh, we have a couple of different kind of topics to talk about when it comes to planning a one-on-one game. And you provided a lot of tips and insight. But we have kind of three areas where we're going to talk about how to plan your game, um, kind of the process of writing, and then what to prep on the on the player side. So can you tell us a little bit about how you go about planning some of these sessions? What's different in the planning of a 1v1 game versus, say, a, a larger game? And even if you guys are planning together, maybe a little bit about that as well. The main thing for me when I'm planning a session for a one-on-one game is that I know where our characters are because that is the part of the game that we enjoy the most. And so not where they are, like, physically but like where they are emotionally who's thinking about what who's worried about what and kind of being ready for that because i know at the end of the day i could have a whole session and we could just talk and like that'll be fine i also like to uh try to have like a goal or like an endpoint in mind you know i'd like i'd love for our, our characters to get to this point and so just kind of planning for that but i think mostly for me it's making sure that i've prepped the part that we enjoy the most and if I have to make up some other stuff on the fly, that's not the end of the world. So how different is that from when you're planning our Waterdeep campaign? I think that for our Waterdeep game, I have to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to kind of like take in the spotlight. And with our one-on-one game, the spotlight's really easy. We just keep it on Beth's character. That changes the prep a lot. And so I can prep a lot more for one character then i can prep for uh, everybody to have like a few moments and the sun and so that i think speaks to the ability to like have really rich developed characters because i just i'm worried about everybody and their relationship to one person versus trying to manage a whole group that sounds so nice <laughs> as a dm i'm well, very excited to try and you do like it from from what it sounds like when you are playing in a, a grander game with say five different players you're trying to think of like okay so what would the rogue want to do and how do i work that into this game and how do i work it into their character arc and you're you're trying to balance all of those whereas when you're playing on a in a one on one game Yes, you're planning for one character, but I would imagine you'd have to plan quite a bit more in order to keep that momentum going and that flow going. Is that fair to say? I think that's accurate. I've got reams and reams of notes like from our one-on-one game. So I don't know that it's like less prep total. It probably ends up being maybe a little bit more because it's also, you know, we're, we're playing in a homebrew world and um, creating all these, you know, original story. And so that does take quite a bit of time. That's fair. The The homebrew aspect certainly adds a lot to it. 
if somebody was playing in the Forgotten Realms, just like the standard D&D world, if somebody was new to DMing, would you say that this is an easier way to get started or is it about the same? It was easy for me, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I'm not sure. I definitely think so because, well, I guess it depends on what type of stories you're normally following. So I like to compare it to Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. So we're following Harry on all of his adventures and misadventures, or are we following the fellowship? But still, by the time we're at the Two Towers, we've split into smaller groups. And so I think that's what's easier about one-on-one. So as long as you like the person you're playing with, I imagine it would be, to me, easier to play one-on-one. But I, I think some of it would depend on your personality and preferences, too. And I think, too, when you play one-on-one, I mean, you were a brand new DM when you started DMing in our game. There, I guess the stakes feel less crazier. Like, it, like you feel, like, less on the spot or, like, you have to perform to some uh, expectations of the group, which those expectations might vary. And, you know, people are more and less knowledgeable about the rules and kind, I guess. And so if you're playing one-on-one and DMing for the other person, it's kind of a safe space to play and figure out your style and learn the rules without kind of that extra pressure, I guess. So I think it's a great way to start DMing. That makes a lot of sense. I was actually considering that the other day when you're usually going to be playing one-on-one with someone you're, you're really close with and that you trust. So that social pressure is taken off almost completely and you're figuring it out together. So... And I feel like you can say, like, as as the DM for a one-on-one game, I just, I need just a minute. And like it's less of a big deal. Um, and, or like, oh, I totally screwed that up. Erase that from your memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nobody else here that's going to know what we did. Just get rid of it. <laughs> you play with a DMPC and then one player character. Do you find it challenging to do so without a completely fleshed out party? Are there aspects that you have to prepare for? You know, like Beth, if you're playing, do you need to (laughs) buy more health potions in town? Or do you need to prepare with certain spells or play classes that can? So we started with just the one. And our kind of cheap thing was that he couldn't die. Jonathan's DMPC. So my character had an amulet, which we have in the Crystal and Curse trilogy, too. And so if Marco and his character died, he would just go in the amulet. So he could always die first, and then she just needed to not die, and it would be fine. So that helped. And then we cheat a little in terms of their what they can do. So my character multi-classes Druid and Ranger, but we let her have the normal level of Druid spells. So she can't have extra Druid spells, but she can cast at a higher level then she should be able to based on the multi-classing table. So kind of tweaking the rules like that. We have a four character party now. So we slowly added DMPCs and we have kind of three now. One doesn't do as much. He keeps going off to do his own things. So we, we added them slowly, which I think helped so that now that I've run them all during combat, I'm used to those classes. Yeah, it's giving you a lot more exposure to different characters and classes too. That's cool. And how do you find balancing all of those players in your heads 
around DMing. That's a lot going on. So any tips to try and help with that? There are so many voices in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that we do a really good job of projecting who we want to talk to and what about Beth will say, hey, I'm looking for Marcone and do I see him? You know, and then I can like, that gives me a second to switch into being Marcone or whoever. And so kind of like projecting your intentions and working together to like ease those transitions, I think is, is pretty huge. And for NPCs who aren't part of our party, my character does the talking for them. Or I'll borrow one of the DMPCs if I really need to and speak as that character so that he's not having to convince himself of something like, please let us into this. <laughs> awkward. But that's so fun to watch as the player. <laughs> good for you for helping him out. <laughs> well, and that's a really good player tip. And that, you know, that speaks to your whole reason. And, and the reason that you're here is being a duet, being a good player so that you can set up your DM for success and the DM can set up the player for success and all of those, you know, it it all just is cohesive when everyone's doing what they should be or what they can do to support just a great game. Yeah, I think it's super important to know what your character wants to do and who they are and who they're becoming. So I do a lot of work it's not always written, but at least in my head between sessions of thinking about what Elliot is going through, what she's wanting to see happen, how she's feeling about what's going on in the world around her, what is she interested in pursuing. And so that I think really helps. But I think part of the collaboration or the collaborative aspect of playing a duet is it's really important as the character to be doing that type of work behind the scenes too. And that's not to say that people in other games aren't putting in a lot of work for their character, but I think in a duet, you have a lot more say and that flexibility comes with responsibility too. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. And I completely agree with you. I, I wouldn't say that there aren't a lot of people out there doing that, but I have seen where groups start to do a gentle decline or a gentle slide when that approach is taken to the games of, I'm a player, so there's really not much I have to do in between games. Let me just show up and entertain me. And and that can be kind of the the nail in the coffin for, I think, a lot of groups is when there's one or, or several players that just have that, that mentality towards those games. There's plenty that a player can do before a game. There's plenty of prep thinking about that, you know, what you said, Beth, your your character's wants and needs. Where do, where am I going this session? What is my highest priority in this game? That's cool. I think one of the most special things about playing a duet is like that it's collaborative and it's so, when you were speaking a second ago, I just like I had the image of like an open hand in my mind because like it's, it's so, um, like we're in this together and we're both uh, trying to, see each other succeed and set each other up for success, like you said. But you don't have to start there either. So when I first started DMing for us, it was really close to (laughs) (laughs) We had dream sequences and they were going to go a particular way and he got to roll occasionally. So I worked out three possible scenarios, maybe, but (laughs) it was really that if things had gone really off the rails, I wouldn't have known how to put them back on and I didn't want there to be stakes. So 
sometimes I worry when we talk like, oh, just do this, then this will work out for you, that it seems like it just works out perfectly right from the beginning. So just in case that doesn't always happen, do you have to kind of figure out the energy between the two of you? I think that that is a very common and easy way to get into playing. Like, I would certainly agree with you. That's the way I started too. Let's write a story. Sometimes the players are able to interact with my story, <laughs> but I'm writing a story and this is how it's going to go. I think that's basically just the DM training wheels. And the more the more experience somebody gets being a DM, the more they'll they'll open up and they'll be able to learn to trust and they'll just gain that sense of confidence around I know that I can still direct a story in a in a much more subtle way. Yeah, and trusting the players to meet you halfway too that they're going to bring a developed interesting character and they're invested in the game and want to see the story continue and move forward. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Is there we've talked about quite a bit that I think applies to this, but is there anything else that you guys learned from being a solo player that you took back into playing in groups? I guess it still comes back to that, knowing what your character wants and letting their backstory develop as you move forward. So they're going to be more detailed and nuanced in both directions is something I've been thinking about a lot where we just started playing Waterdeep. So I have this new character and I love her and she's so interesting. And I want to ask Jonathan questions about her all the time. Running our game and DMing one-on-one has made me a better player and that I, um, I don't know, I think it's made me a more mischievous and inquisitive player. And so since I know how things work and I'm used to kind of contributing to the story, I want to maybe push and question a little bit more and not in a mean-spirited way, but like my character is thinking about more things to do. And so I have like a greater number of tools in my tool belt from that experience. It's helped me be more confident and comfortable as a player in a group game too, because that was really hard for me at first. I think the very first time I played was your very first session DMing Wolves of Welton. The people we were playing with who we're doing Waterdeep with now, and they're wonderful, but they've been playing for a while. So I didn't want to be the person who was slowing the game down and having all these questions or being really awkward as my character and everyone else seemed really comfortable. And I didn't feel that way at all. And so I think that's really helped set up for, you know, a year and a half later playing this other game where I can be pulling my character and there's still sometimes when I'm a little nervous about it, but it's way better. (laughs) It sounds to me like the the main takeaway here is that playing in a a one-on-one game kind of lays bare everything, whether it's the good or the bad, you know, the, the strengths and the weaknesses and you know, until you kind of get a chance to really look at that, you know, you can see where you fit within a group setting. And within a group setting, you can probably skate by on the strength of other players or the strength of a really good DM. But in this scenario, it's it's make or break. And so you either do it and you figure it out or you do it and you go, oh, wow, <laughs> I, I see where, where my strengths and weaknesses are now. Yeah, I definitely think so. Or those kind of stressful moments in a game, like a really intense combat, feel extra intense too like you're trying to kill my pc (laughs) (laughs) yeah getting over that feeling like the dm's got it out for you is so hard to do (laughs) that's why i wanted to be on the dm side again (laughs) well that's super helpful and i know that you have lots of tips and tricks on your your blog too which we 
love reading because it it just has a lot more of those insights into just how to run a great one-on-one game but let's uh let's move on to our third and final segment timora's tavern welcome to timora's tavern where absurd games of fortune and skill are played for the amusement of all All right, so in in this segment, what we're going to do is we'd like to build a couple of NPCs based on the two of you, and we're going to do that by asking you questions to flesh them out. If you're familiar with the newlywed game, this is very much in that style, in that vein. So you'll be answering some questions on the behalf of your partner to flesh out the character. Let's kick this off. All right, so Beth... Jonathan's style, might, magic, or guile? Might. Might. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Going in brawny. And, uh, and Jonathan, the same question to you for Beth? Magic. Magic. Okay. What background would be the, the starting point for each other's characters? If you could make sage and performer, that's what I would give you. I don't know if that works or not. Oh, absolutely. Oh. We'll make it work. <laughs> no rules to this. Sage for Beth as Sage, yeah. That makes total sense. And and really, that works great for these two NPCs that we'll be building for the two of you. If goblins are attacking the town, what's the first weapon that you reach for? I feel like you would have one of those two-handed swords. The really big ones. Like a big claymore. She's probably going to reach for her loyal wolf companion and direct it to uh, rout the goblins. <laughs> she covers them with arrows and nature magic from afar. <laughs> Wonderful. What about uh, what about race? If the real world versions of you, what fantasy race would you end up being? Oh, she would be a half elf all day and tomorrow. <laughs> she is- <laughs> Have you ever been anything else, Beth, on purpose? No. Well, my character right now for our Curse of Strahd game is Berseris, human or something. But I like half-elves so much more. I just got to know, what speaks to you so much about half-elves? I like that they're somewhere between human and something else. So there's that contemplative aspect to them that is kind of farther reaching and questioning the limits of what their humanity might be. So kind of having a longer perspective, but a super long perspective or a thousand year perspective is still going to be out of reach for them. And so there's this incredible knowledge that I feel like elves would be able to attain over this long, luxurious life that half elves aren't going to have, but they still have more time than humans do. Cool. No, that makes sense. Okay. And what's Jonathan? Do you want to be a half elf with me? I'll be whatever you tell me to be. <laughs> I think maybe we'll go half orc. Oh. Half orc. Cool. Man, Jonathan, you must be quite a bruiser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty hunky. <laughs> <laughs> what trinket would they never be without? A compass. Beth's character would never be without uh, a book and something to write with. Journaler. Nice. How about a magic spell that they'd never be without? Speak with animals. <laughs> I feel targeted. Uh, that's such a good question. There's so many cool spells. Oh, Prestidigitation would be awesome. It's 
I wish we could all do that and just clean stuff and then never have to worry about it. <laughs> Minor illusions. Yes. <laughs> what oh. is their character's catchphrase? <laughs> Best catchphrase would be vengeance. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with gotcha for yours. Gotcha. <laughs> There's got to be a story behind that. Um, one of the one of the gateway drugs to our current D and D addiction was the phenomenal Diablo three, in which Beth, not much of a video gamer, but I slowly wore her down to play Diablo three with me, and she immediately identified with the demon hunter. And now, occasionally in life, you know, you just have to take a second and just be like. Vengeance, which is what, <laughs> nice. Um, when somebody deserves it, I, I had the same thing for a while with the character from the first Borderlands. I don't know if either of you are familiar with uh, Brick, so I'd occasionally just do a chaotic laugh <laughs> throughout the house <laughs> as Brick. <laughs> awesome. So, where did your two characters meet? An elven forest, a dwarven mine, somewhere else? Meeting in a dwarven mine would be cool. I don't know why we're there. Would it be as cool as meeting in an elven scriptorium? Ooh. Oh. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> this this newlywed game is becoming a collaborative game. An elven scriptorium <laughs> in a dwarven mine. Who knows how it got there? <laughs> what foul magics are at play? <laughs> what is one irritating habit that their character has i think beth's would be um her totally fictional half elf that has no actual bearing <laughs> right yeah perhaps self-doubt i feel like for a half work having your job being more forward could be kind of frustrating so i think that your character might like just click his teeth just click. a lot of a lot of mouth sounds coming from that half work <laughs> like a bulldog it has got a lot of a <laughs> lot of snorting a lot of a lot of teeth gnashing a lot of what is their character afraid of? His character is afraid of bats. I think Beth's character would be afraid of losing her wolf companion. Solid. Whose adventure started in a tavern and whose adventure started in a jail cell? <laughs> her adventure definitely started in a jail cell. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Outed. <laughs> Nice. What about uh, fantasy jobs? What do your what do the characters do? I feel like they would have a day job as bakers, but it's we have some sort of secret job that's more interesting than a really cool bakery. I like it. It's a front. Yeah, yeah best yeah. character would be a rare ingredient collector, and some of that would play into the bakery, and she'd also have to, of course, you know, obtain exotic goods for for customers this is a campaign we're ready to go <laughs> absolutely and your your character helps procure some of those rare ingredients jonathan thank you for your help you're that welcome awesome. <laughs> what's their greatest character strength for your half work i think maybe he's very persuasive hmm I think um, Beth's half-elf would be incredibly uh, intuitive and insightful and just, like, sees through people. Nice. Nice. Really high insight. That's a good combo. 
What rare monster meat do they love to eat? Here. Oh, nice. I think Beth's half elf has acquired a taste for scrambled harpy eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if that sounds delicious or terrifying. <laughs> she hates it but loves it. <laughs> what about their character flaw? I feel like it would be hard as a character surrounded by possible adventures that kind of balance between when you're adventuring and when you're not. So maybe that would be the flaw of the patience or balance between when things are really exciting, being in that moment and focused on that versus when things are kind of dull and not just looking forward to the adventure. Because that's something you're really good at in real life, but I think we can make that a character flaw. Nice. I think Beth half elf is, how are you flawed? Let me think about this. (laughs) I think your half-elf ingredient collector makes snap judgments about people, and once made, it's very hard to correct. Mm. That's good. That's awesome. What about their fantasy hobby? Is this a real hobby or one that they wish that they could do? A real hobby that their their character does. But throw that one in there too. Yeah. I want to know what he wishes he could do. (laughs) So I think your half-work's real fantasy hobby is playing the harp or the lute. I think your half-elf is really good at decorating cakes, um, which helps because she works at a bakery. And I think her fantasy dream dream hobby would probably be raising and rescuing fae pugs. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Something about that uh, underbite that <laughs> this half-elf just loves. <laughs> we haven't pointed it out to her yet. <laughs> Maybe jousting as your desired hobby but exotic jousting like on some sort of fantasy ostrich <laughs> yes <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we just recreated the video game joust <laughs> love it do for a comeback it's only been forever <laughs> they'll probably make a movie in the next couple of years yeah a- any any minute now <laughs> it'll star the rock <laughs> all right final one what is a fantasy take on your real names. Mine's so short. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I've got something. Do you go first, though? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thajen, like with a J sound. Thajen. Very cool. Yeah. Her character is probably like one of um, a long line of half elves that uh, had their own community and had their own honorary titles. And so she would be referred to as Katharina Eastbrook. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Sounds properly half-elven. Dynamic duo. I can't wait to uh, see how that all comes together. That's great. They sound awesome. I love those questions. They're really cool. (laughs) And this we're playing D&D later, and I haven't had time to prep NPCs, so guess what? <laughs> yes, that's awesome. <laughs> well, that was a, a perfect way to kind of wrap this episode. So we'll have those 
NPCs available for download, of course, on our Patreon, where you can find the uh, the fleshed out versions of both of those. You can find Beth and Jonathan's work at groveguardianpress.com and dnddduet.com. Anything else coming up, you guys? We're going to be in a bundle, um, Sidekicks of the Realms, with four other creators and their sidekick titles. So uh, our two adventures, our two newest adventures, and four collections of sidekicks. I think it's going to be really cool. And hopefully we'll have a new adventure at the end of the month, but I'm not positive. <laughs> Working on it. Cool. There's a lot of spinning plates, it sounds like, so. And of course, be on the lookout for Buried Heroes in February or sooner. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Looking forward to that book. First day, count us as readers. So yeah, the rest of your modules, uh, you have fantastic modules and all of those can be purchased from the DMs Guild. There's some excellent pay what you want options if you just want a little bit of a taster of their work. And yeah, we're definitely looking forward to your book, Beth. Super excited for that. That's it. Uh, thanks to Tabletop Audio for all of the sound effects that you hear in, in our episodes. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, Reddit. Thanks so much for joining us, you guys. Yes, thank you very this much. This has been an awesome conversation, and we really look forward to everything you guys are doing. So thanks for listening, everybody. And play, play great, great, great games. games. <laughs> <laughs> all right.